from time to time, we, we kind of, as a church, as a church family, we spend a little bit of time doing what we call family business. Uh, so, you know, if you are here or, and you're, or you're new or you're visiting, um, do forgive us. Uh, it's, been a, it's been an interesting 10 days uh, in the life of the Southwest London Vineyard. Um, many of you will know that uh, just a little over a week ago, Linda Spicer um, lost her battle uh, with cancer a long, hard-fought battle with cancer. And, and Linda, uh, Linda, quite apart from being um, simply one of the most remarkable women that uh, Kate and I have had the uh, pleasure of knowing, we've, we've, um, we've known her for over 25, over 25, going on for 30 years, uh, for the time that she's been part of this church. This church celebrates its 30th uh, anniversary next September. And Linda... Uh, came into this church uh, fairly early, fairly early on, and she's in the years that she's been here. She was, uh, she was, she's played an important part in the life of this church. Uh, she first started. Uh, she came into the church. She came into Hugh and Ginny's house group. Hugh and Ginny are here. It's fantastic that you're here. You're so welcome. Um, it's such an honour for us to have you here with us. And uh, and Linda was part of Hugh and Ginny's outstanding house group. Um, not least because I was also a member of that house group. <coughs> we all gave uh, Hugh and Ginny a run for their money, made their lives as miserable as possible. Uh, but Linda came into that house group right from the very, very um, early days, and uh, not long after that, she started working for the church. Uh, I think first and foremost, she worked as John Wright's. She worked with John and Debbie Wright, who are now national directors. Um, she worked alongside John and Debbie, and then uh, after that, she became John Mumford's um, administrative assistant when he was. Leading, him and Ellie were leading this church, the Southwest London Vineyard, as well as uh, vineyard churches across the um, United Kingdom and Ireland. And then uh, I, I discovered it was actually, it's, it's actually been for the last 10 years, you know, which is hard to believe because I clearly am only 23. But for the last 10 years, Linda has been on our, on our staff team, working as, uh, with the leadership staff here, and she's been on the leadership staff team of this church. And... In so many years, in whatever role it is that she's played, whether it's running Alpha, she ran Alpha right donkeys years ago, um, through to organising amazing, like outstanding events, uh, like Puccini and Pasta, I think, with you guys. Wasn't that with you guys? Puccini and Pasta, uh, to uh, countless sort of workforce banquets. Um, she had us all um, chip-shaped from Bristol uh, fashion. Linda, Linda's, she's left her fingerprints all over this church and over so many of the things that, um, that we now do and take for granted. Linda was a wonderful, if not at times, um, challenging uh, colleague. Uh, <laughs> um, she was an incredibly dear friend to uh, so many people and she had that sort of rarest of gifts to make everybody feel like they were the most um, special and most important person. Uh, in, in her life. Most importantly, Linda was um, a wonderful follower of Jesus. She was a passionate follower of Jesus, uh, and as I said, quite remarkable. Um, and the truth is, um, we've been walking, many of you have been walking with Linda for a long time as she's been fighting uh, with cancer, but the truth is, you know, we all knew that this day, we all knew that this day would come. Um, but it still, it still comes as a bit of a shock when it actually happens. 
and I, I've been thinking about it, I think uh, some of it's to do with the fact that as we've journeyed with Linda, all of us in various different ways, the focus of our attention rightly has been on her. And how is she and how she's doing? And, and she's gone to be with Jesus. And so we're relieved when I heard the news that she died. I, I said, praise the Lord. Genuinely, I said, praise Jesus. She's finally gone home to be with Jesus where she was so long to be. And I think what happens is that we spend so much time focusing on our loved one that it's not until they actually die. Even though we're prepared for it, we're expecting it, we're almost hoping for it, for their sake. It's only after they die we suddenly are left with ourselves and realize that we now have to continue our journey without that person, without that loved one. And um, so for many of us, it still comes as a bit of a shock. We're still sort of reeling. We still can't quite get our heads around the fact that from this point on, we'll be doing life without Linda, uh, which, as I've said, on the one hand, will probably make it so much easier. Um, but on the other hand, will definitely make it far less fun. So, understandably, some of us are still reeling. Our hearts are heavy. We are um, sad. Um, but in the, the swirl of all the emotions, in and through the grief of it all, um, I just wanted this morning to see if I can try and give you um, one or two handrails to kind of hold on to. And um, it may help. Uh, when we think about the grieving process, whether we're grieving Linda or whether Linda, the de Linda's death actually reminds us of a whole set of other losses that we uh, are still trying to work our way through and still trying to process. Sometimes I think it's helpful to think of the grieving process a little bit like ice skating. It's a little bit like ice skating. You know what it's like if you've ever been um, ice skating. You have that very real sense. You know, you step off the solid ground and you step onto the ice, and you have that very real sense that the ground underneath you is no longer familiar. It's no longer familiar territory. It's very slippery, and it's very uncertain, and you're not used to feeling that way. And so all of a sudden, you're, you're no longer sure of your footing, and you're, you become incredibly tense because you're fearful that one, just one wrong move, and you're going to end up flat on your back, uh, on the ice, cold, wet, battered, and bruised. And so if you're anything like me, on the very, very rare occasions that I go ice skating, uh, I spend most of my time, as you can imagine, like hanging on f for dear life um, to the only thing that is fixed and certain, to the only thing that I can be sure of. And of course, in an ice rink, the only thing that I can be sure of is, is the rail that goes around the edge of the ice rink. For us um, as Christians, that rail is our faith. For us as Christians, that rail is, is, is the, the hope that's so clearly expressed through the scriptures, that's so clearly expressed through the word of God. And um, in the aftermath, in the aftermath of, of so much heartbreaking news, as we as, um, as Linda's church family, as we come together, as we remember her life, we together grieve her death there are at least going to be a couple of questions that we're going to be asking. And, um, and those questions essentially kind of boil down. The, fir the first question is, is sort of, what about her? What, what about Linda? That's the first question most of us are asking. And then the second question, um, which we phrase in different ways, is effectively, what about us? What about Linda and what about us? 
So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to um, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. I haven't done a PowerPoint this morning, so you'll just need to read your Bibles um, rather than the screen. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Yeah, if you haven't got a Bible, there are some up here at the front. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. So, first of all, what about Linda? Uh, Verses 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant. Paul's writing, saying... I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died, those who fall asleep. I don't want you to find yourselves grieving like the rest of mankind who have no hope. What Paul is saying basically is, um, don't you worry about Linda for a moment, will you? Don't worry about Linda. Linda is with the Lord. Linda is in glory. Linda has now finally gone home to be with Jesus. The very thing that she longed to do. And it's a wonderful thing. Paul writes, he says, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So that means that Linda is now with Jesus. So that when the Lord returns, the Lord can bring Linda with him when he returns. So she is with Jesus. She's with the Lord. She's probably grilling him. Uh, She's probably quizzing him. Uh, she's probably rearranged the furniture and um, every angel and archangel now has a job description. Um, And uh, everything is running much more smoothly. But the truth of the matter is, most importantly of all, um, Linda's with Jesus. She's in no more pain. She's got no more suffering. Today, um, Linda is with Jesus in paradise, um, which is awesome. Amazing, which is why when she died, we could genuinely say, praise Jesus, praise the Lord. We walked with her, so many of you walked with her through those last weeks. You know, you began to see the physical suffering and pain she was in, and so it was such a wonderful kindness of the Lord to take her home. But it's because Linda's with Jesus, it's, with, it's because Linda is with the Lord, and that's the reason that all of the comfort... All of this comfort, this kind of, even this kind of stuff, looking at the scriptures to encourage one another, it's actually, it's all for us. It's all directed at us. It's all for those of us who are left 
behind. You know, the ones who are left, as someone just put it recently, with a huge Linda-shaped hole in their lives. None of this. None of this is for her. None of this is for her benefit. Uh, the funeral, and the funeral, by the way, is going to be this Tuesday, Tuesday the 18th of October at 2 p.m. It's going to be at Christ Church in West Wimbledon. And you are all more than welcome. Okay? The family have been particularly, Linda particularly wanted you all to feel incredibly welcome. The family have extended the welcome. And so please don't give it a second thought. If you would like to come, please, please come. Linda uh, would have loved for you to have been there. But the funeral is for us. It's not for Linda. Linda's, Linda's in glory. She's having a whale of a time. She's partying. She's having a blast. The funeral's for those of us who are left behind. It's for those of us who are grieving, those of us who are miserable. It's for those of us um, who need the comfort and the hope that comes from the counsel of the Scriptures. It's, it's, it's us who need the comfort and the hope that comes from the fellowship of the saints. The funeral service is, is for us. It's, it's not for Linda. But do you notice in verse 13, Paul doesn't say, don't grieve. Do you see that? He doesn't say, don't grieve. See, grieving and uh, grief is, in, is incredibly important. Grief is absolutely appropriate. All he's saying here is that when you grieve, grieve well. That's really what he's saying. He's not saying, don't grieve. He's not saying, oh, God, you know, stiff up a little, shove it all down, you know, uh, don't think about it. It'll all be wonderful. Always look on the bright side of life. He's not saying that. He's saying, grieve. Yes, 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 grieve. Uh, just don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He says, grieve well. Uh, there's no getting away from the deep sadness that many of us feel, whether it's grieving over Linda or grieving over others we've lost. Uh, what Paul is saying is, um, don't grieve like those uh, who have no hope. He's saying, grieve. It's right. It's fitting. Let your hearts be heavy. Allow yourselves, allow yourselves to be sad. Grieve. Be kind to yourself. Give yourself space. Give yourself permission. Take time to mourn. Give yourself time and space. Uh, someone once described grief as being like orbiting planets. You know, orbiting planets, all these different feelings and emotions sort of swirling around and, and, and one will come in to, to view and you'll experience it and then it sort of disappears and you think, oh great, I've done that. And another one comes in and you go, oh, now I've got to deal with this. And then that disappears. And then a bit later the first one comes back again, just this time a little bit further away. Give yourself time and space for the orbiting planets of denial and anger and bargaining depression and acceptance. Let all those things come and go. Give yourself time and space to allow the emotions of crying and sadness and numbness and laughter and, and whatever else you can come up with. And we all come up with different ways to express uh, emotion. I, after Linda died, I was absolutely dog-tired. I felt like I'd been run over. I was absolutely exhausted even though I was sleeping well, just completely physically drained. And I was like, this is weird. I don't know why I'm feeling like this. I slept really well last night. And then it's like, oh, yes, this is grief. And for me, it was a case of, hello, old friend. I haven't seen you for a while. Now you're back. Okay. Give myself, give yourselves space. There's a hole in our lives. There's this void, this gap. And for those of us 
who deeply loved the person who once filled that gap, the hole that is left, it cuts very deeply to the core of our hearts. And so it's right, it's fitting to grieve. But let's not forget to grieve well, because we grieve as those who have hope. And it's this hope that gives us and brings us comfort in our grief. And you know, on the subject of death, like on the subject of so many other things, the Bible is incredibly comforting on this subject. When we keep saying to you, read your Bibles, learn your Bibles, give time to um, reading this and devouring it and meditating on it and contemplating it and knowing what's in it, um, it's all for good reason. It's because when we're in a situation like this and the ground beneath us has suddenly got slippery and chaotic, this becomes our rail. And knowing it helps keep us up. It keeps us off our backs on the ice. And so it's incredibly important that we're spending time and investing time in, in learning and, um, and, and reflecting on the word. Because the, the, the Bible's incredibly comforting around uh, the subject of death. It keeps us up. It keeps us steady, even when things underneath us feel like they've slipped away. And so the Bible tells us, you know, have you ever wondered what it's like to die? You kind of think, I wonder what dying is actually like. I wonder what it's like. Well, if you've ever wondered what it's like to die, and the truth is we experience it every single night of our lives. We experience it every single night of our lives because the Bible says that dying is like falling asleep at night. The only difference is that um, when you wake up, you wake up in a different place. So when you open your eyes, the only difference between sort of falling asleep when you're in your bed and falling asleep when you die, is that instead of when you open your eyes, the first thing you see is your spouse or your family or your bedroom or whatever, when you die, the first thing that you see is the Lord Jesus. So when Linda fell asleep a week ago last Thursday, she breathed her last, having had a wonderful family and so many friends right by her side up until the very end, the very next thing she would have known after taking that very last breath would have been of waking up in the presence of Christ Jesus her Lord and her King being greeted by, I'm sure, his loving smile and a great big hug. So don't worry about Linda, she's in glory, I must hurry up. Okay, what about us? What about us? What about those of us who are left behind? And by that I you know, mean first and foremost um, Linda's family, um, who over the years Linda has pretty much single-handedly led every single one of them to the Lord. Uh, their relationships with Jesus have pretty much, I think, come, I think it's fair to say, come about as a result of Linda's prayers and her witness. I mean, uh, Claire, Linda's dear mother, she herself is very frail. I mean, uh, Susan and David, Linda's sister and brother, their children, Charlotte, Annabelle, Lucy, Thomas and Jemima, and all the godchildren that Linda had and loved. But I also mean Linda's church family. I mean us. I mean those of us who knew her as well as those who, who, who didn't know her very well, and all of us may be experiencing different kinds of grief. Um, what, we just, uh, what we've just read, what I've just uh, said, doesn't mean that we shouldn't grieve. Okay? This is important. Uh, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to have questions. I'm giving you permission to have questions. It's all right to ask questions, to have real questions. Don't Check your brain, you know, in the information desk as you come in. Be, we want to be real. We want to wrestle through some of these difficult 
questions um, together. And, and you see it. You see it in the scriptures. You see it with Jesus in the aftermath of the, of the death of his friend Lazarus. But, you know, on the one hand, the death of Lazarus, on the one hand, Jesus is incredibly confident about the future. Um, but uh, on, on the other, he, he, he's struggling. Um, don't turn to it now. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Jesus is confident about the future. He's comforting Lazarus's sisters. And he says, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is what he's saying to Martha and Mary. And yet at the same time, with all of that absolute confidence and certainty, at the same time you see Jesus responding and, and reacting emotionally, as any compassionate, tender-hearted human being would. It says this, he says, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In verse 35 it says, Jesus wept. In the midst of all of this, he's got this absolute certainty and confidence on the one hand, this emotional distress in his grief on the other, and at the same time he's surrounded by all these people who are asking him questions. In 21, verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary says the same thing in verse 32. Then in verse 37, others are saying, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? These questions, questions, questions. Why, why Linda? Why Linda? She, she, she was 60 years old. She was only 60 years old. She, she had so much to give. She was such a huge blessing to so many. We prayed. We prayed that the Lord would heal her. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this woman from dying? And whilst we don't have all the answers, do you know what? We know enough. We, we know enough. God has spoken to us through the scriptures clearly enough. Um, let me remind you of some of these things. And let, let some of this encourage you. Let me encourage you with these words. Um, first of all, the thing that we need to remember is, um, first of all, the Lord reigns and the Lord is sovereign. The Lord reigns and the Lord is sovereign. Revelation chapter 19 verse 6 says this, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Job 42 uh, verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. God is on his throne. God is still on his throne and nothing changes that. Martin Luther, he was, being, he was once threatened by a papal sort of envoy. All of Luther's uh, followers would desert him. And, um, and the envoy said to Luther, you know, if all of your followers desert you, where will you be then? Then as now, replied Luther, in the hands of God. Then as now, in the hands of God. The Lord reigns. And the Lord is sovereign. One of the things that Linda was a firm believer in was the sovereignty of God. Let me just read to you from the writings of Charles Spurgeon. There is no attribute more comforting to God's children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, 
They believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which his children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation. The kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God, and his right to sit upon that throne. He goes on. On the other hand, there is no doctrine more hated by the world, no truth of which they have made such a football as the great, stupendous, but yet most certain doctrine of the sovereignty of the infinite God. Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and to make stars. They will allow him to sustain the earth or light the lamps of heaven or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends his throne, his creatures gnash their teeth. But we proclaim an enthroned God and his right to do as he wills with his own, to dispose of his creatures as he thinks well, without consulting them in the matter. It is God upon the throne we love to preach. It is God upon his throne in whom we trust. The Lord reigns. The Lord is sovereign. And do you know what? The Lord doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. We are safe in his hand. You're familiar with Romans 8. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and accord, accord according to his purpose. We are to believe. We are to choose to believe. These challenging moments are opportunities for our choice. We are to choose to believe that somehow, whether we see it or not, whether we recognize it or not, whether we understand it or not, whether it agrees with our sensibilities or not, that somehow God will bring good out of even this. A number of incredible examples throughout the scriptures of, of people who faced challenging, incredibly challenging situations. And I just love the way that they've responded. I just, um, Daniel. Daniel, um, here he is. This is in Daniel 3. He says, if we are, he's talking to the king, he says, that if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, which is what happened, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. See that phrase? Even if he does not. Let's assume the worst case scenario, O king. Let's assume you throw us in the fire and we become chips do you know what it makes no difference we uh, will still trust him we will still serve him we will still follow him and then of course there's Job Job chapter 13 Job writes even though he slay me yet will I trust in him we may not know how, we may not even begin to imagine and comprehend it, but we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And that's a handrail. That's a handrail that's going to keep us up. 
I promise you. In April 1758, the first letter that Sarah Edwards wrote following the death of her husband, Jonathan, he was, age, he was age 54, she wrote to her daughter, Esther, to break the news of her father's death, and she wrote this. She said, my very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands over our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me more adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God and there I am and love to be. Your affectionate mother, Sarah. We are all given to God and there I am, and love to be. So as we grieve, um, let's remember that the loss and the grief, remember that they're not Linda's. Um, Linda has gone to be with her precious and beloved Jesus. Let's remember that the loss and the grief, it's all ours. And how we handle ourselves and how we handle our grief is so terribly important, uh, not least because the way that we handle ourselves should be honoring to Linda. So we are to be sad. We are to be at a loss. We are to be heartbroken. But we are not to be overwhelmed. We are not to be overcome. We are, um, we are to support one another in the weeks and the months ahead. We are to look out for one another. We are to pray for one another. We are to seek one another out to encourage one another and strengthen one another and comfort one another. But we are not to allow the enemy to rob, steal, and destroy our faith, hope, love, and joy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward selves are perishing, yet our inward selves are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Like Linda, we are to fix our eyes not on what is seen. For what is seen is temporary. Instead, we are to fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what is unseen is eternal. And so, especially over the coming weeks as we continue looking at the book of uh, Philippians, which we've been doing um, intentionally to help those of us closest to Linda to hold on to our joy no matter what. It was all part of a cunning plan. <coughs> particularly over this time, let's make being here together on a Sunday, let's make being together, gathering as the church family on a Sunday, a priority. And that should be the case regardless of what's going on in our lives. But especially at times like this, we need the hope that comes from the council of the scriptures. We need the hope that comes from the fellowship of the saints. So no matter how you're feeling, don't keep away. Don't you know, give up 
meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And come and worship. Come and let the word of God comfort you. Let the spirit of God minister to you. Let the, the people of God be a blessing to you as together as a church family we walk through this season. Okay? Nod politely. Okay, amen. Why don't you stand? We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together.